What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. How could you better express yourself authentically and get what you want in the bedroom? What sex and dating rules do more harm than good? We're going to explore these topics today with relationship and sexual empowerment coach, Christy Federico, who works with individuals and groups, helping them feel confident and fully expressed in their bodies, sexualities, and entire lives. Before we dive in, don't forget to sign up for Girl Boner Extras by email. I send them out about once a month. You can sign up at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. There are links in the show notes. About once a month, I send extras like uh, bonuses and free gifts and news about events. While you're there, you can also check out my Girl Boner books, explore my blog, and click the pleasure chest image to start shopping for sex toys. This month, they are celebrating Kinktober. As the days get shorter and the nights get longer, they are turning a kinky corner and diving deeper into cosplay, bondage, and a bit more BDSM. Visit thepleasurechest.com to learn about their free weekly workshops and to get 20% off their most popular kink goodies from October 25th to the 31st online only. Thank you so much for joining me today, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. I know you really help people align all parts of their lives uh, with a focus on like deeper meaning and connection and pleasure. This comes from a really personal place for you. You you struggled in this area early on. Could you share a bit about that? Totally. Yeah, this is something that I've struggled with throughout my whole life up until recent years. Um I'd say from an early age, my self-expression was really stifled um, due to the familial and societal messaging. Um, so I learned from an early age what was kind of acceptable and not acceptable for a girl and a woman to look like and act like. And when you're so young and impressionable, um, when you learn what's acceptable and not and you realize that you're not that, you either have to change or feel not enough or, or, you know, not lovable and not accepted. And so I had to really alter kind of the way I, the way I acted, the way I looked. Um, And it really severely affected my romantic relationships. I had a lot of body image issues, um, struggles with being myself in social settings, um, but especially in my romantic relationships. And I always just craved a deeper connection um, with with people in general. I had some close relationships, but um, I knew that there had to be more. And then over time, um, I, w- I realized I was feeling trapped and just knew that there was more meaning, a more meaningful life for me and more fulfillment. And I knew that it was time for me to make some changes. So um, gradually, I took the steps toward being more heard and more seen as just who I am. Um, so putting myself in uncomfortable situations um, really helped um, me gain some confidence. And the more that I gained confidence, um, things like public speaking or being in a funk band, I was a backup singer in a funk band, um, really just helped me feel more free and alive. And the more I felt that, the more 
I was like, I just want every woman to feel this way, every person really. Um, and so that is really why I'm so passionate about the work I do, of helping people just feel fully expressed and alive and confident and live the life that they deeply want for themselves. At what point in your life did this start happening? Were you, was this like teens, 20s? Were you like college age? When I started taking more control? Yeah. I'd say really not until after college. Um, I was still pretty lost during college and living in a pretty inauthentic life. I studied business even though I wasn't passionate about it. I was kind of lost, um, didn't know what I wanted to pursue for a career, um, felt really uncomfortable in my body. It was very um, anxious and afraid of people still. <laughs> and it wasn't until after where I was really on a search for more deeper meaning and um, Pretty early on in my career, I was working at an investment bank, and I was just like, this is not for me. I know I'm meant to help people. I know that there's more to life than sitting at a computer and um, not you know, being of service to the world. Um, and then that just really spurred a whole, um, just so many years of growth and went on to study mental health counseling, um, got into coaching, and just really passionate about women's empowerment and delve deeper into my own uh, spirituality and sexuality. Um, so yeah, it wasn't until probably grad school, mental, studying mental health counseling will do that to you. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. And misery and boredom are such powerful catalysts, I think, mm -hmm. you know, because I think it's interesting when people hear what you do now, it, it might be easy to assume that you were going along and maybe you were struggling and then you were like, Embrace my sexuality. That's yeah. the answer. But typically, it doesn't start with sex or anything sex-related. It's There are all these layers in between, and you don't even realize that these other life changes will impact our sexuality so much. Completely. And that's why I guess I struggle a little bit with calling myself a sexual empowerment coach because it can be misconstrued as, oh, you only talk about sex technical sex stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, there's so much more to sexuality and there's so much more to um, becoming confident as a sexual being. And I'm very holistic in my beliefs and in my work. And every aspect of ourself is related to one another. Every aspect of our life is related to one another. So... I relate to that so much. It's one of the reasons I recently changed my intro music, because when I first started out, you know, everything was very overtly about sexual empowerment in the titles, which I still embrace and love. And, and I know you do, too. And it to me, though, I've realized that sexual empowerment, only a small piece of it is actually about sex. And what I was hearing from people, I did a big survey of my listeners and uh, email subscribers, and they were all saying that one of the things they appreciated is that it was about more than sex. And so that that shift of a, of a lens, I think sometimes the the sex tips might bring somebody into our work, right? And, mm -hmm. oh, I'm struggling with orgasm, or I want to have more pleasure, or I can't ask for what I want. And then you start realizing that it is, it's like this, it's like a tree. There's, there's so many branches and holistic is such a good word for that. Yeah, that's my favorite word to use for it. And I think, um, yeah, I totally relate to that because a lot of people who initially contact me, like you said, it will be initially about not being able to orgasm or something very technically about sex. And we'll have our first real call and not even talk about sex at all. And they'll be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this is all here and how it's affected and how it's affecting me and all of that. It's so true. One of my favorite 
or most common at least suggestions I find myself giving people have nothing to do with sex, even though they, at least on the surface, you know, Mm -hmm. I think they're often expecting that I'm going to recommend like a certain position or, you know, something very specific and technical around sex. And sometimes that is the thing. Mm -hmm. And certainly those things are helpful, but it's amazing how many other things will help in sometimes shifting the focus away because we focus so much sometimes on the quote unquote sex problem that it can be, it like festers in your mind and it, it, breeds more of that shame that Mm. so many of us grew up with. I'm really fascinated by this piece of your story. You started masturbating early on. So even though you were struggling in these other ways and weren't fully embracing your full self or living fully authentically, even before you probably realized that was happening, Mm -hmm. you really embraced self-pleasure Tell us about that journey and and where it's led. Yeah, I think it's kind of a unique part of my story um, because I was so insecure in so many other ways, but really empowered around self-pleasure and sexuality. Um, I guess I just explored my body naturally at a young age. And I do remember there were a couple of situations where I realized I knew I wasn't supposed to. um, And it wasn't necessarily shamed. I remember at one point... Um, my mom saw that I might have been self-pleasuring and said something like, what are you doing? But like, and in a tone, I guess, that I realized like, okay, I don't want her to know that I'm doing this. <laughs> um, and then as I got a little bit older, so that was maybe elementary school. As I got slightly older, I remember experimenting with this like handheld massager. <laughs> Quote, and, unquote, massager. Yeah. They all are, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, this is great for your back. Yeah. yeah. It's even better for the clit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and... I think what was also helpful was that I had a couple of close cousins and family members who were kind of exploring as well. So I didn't have to feel totally alone in the experience, which I think had a big part. Um, But as I got older, I guess I never really knew that everyone else wasn't doing it because, like I said, I had some support around me and people who were interested in the same exploration. When I got into college, I had a best friend who was super uncomfortable around the topic and had gotten a vibrator as a gag gift. And um, I guess I had been open about my exploration. She was just like, here, you can have it. I'm not going to use it. And I was like, "Okay." Like I started to become known kind of as the friend who was like comfortable talking about sex Mm -hmm. and pleasure. Um, And I always felt um, just comfortable giving myself that pleasure and powerful as a woman to be able to give myself that pleasure. And um, I didn't have many sexual partners. So I think that had a lot to do with it, too, is uh, I never felt really a lack of pleasure. And I know a lot of people are uncomfortable around masturbation, don't do it. And so they feel such a lack of um, pleasure and just excitement when they don't have that in their life from a partner. Um, but I'm grateful for the fact that I did get into masturbation early on and um, didn't have to rely on someone for that. So Yeah, which is interesting because at the same time, the struggle was more in the relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. Did you at the time notice that contrast? Not at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> Hindsight's so crazy, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. And how often does masturbation come up in your conversations and in working with people? Um, it comes up a lot because I 
I do work with women who do have a lot of shame around it and want to be more sexually confident for themselves and also to bring that into the bedroom with partners. Um, so I do explore their beliefs around it and what may be causing them to feel shame and how we can work through that and start some sort of practice for them that they're comfortable with wherever they're at on their journey, um, just so they can experience more pleasure and know their bodies, feel more confident in their bodies, help communicate what they like and don't like with their partners. Some women want to be more directive in the bedroom. And so um, masturbation and self-pleasure is such a great way for that. Agreed. Can we talk about some of those rules, the rules around sex and dating, quote unquote rules, I guess you could Mm -hmm. say? There are so many out there and many of them are pretty demeaning. What's one that just really gets to you? I'd say having to wait a while or a certain amount of dates or something in order to have sex Um, because a, a man wouldn't be judged for that. But a woman, like, God forbid, you have sex on the first date. Yes. Yeah. And so often it's kind of put in this, um, the terms used around it are very much about currency. It's like giving. Mm-hmm. You, I've heard it. I've heard the phrase, you give the cookie or you hold the cookie. You know, you oh, hold on gosh, to yeah. it. Like it's this thing that you decide when you give. And it, it just sets up this horrible game playing. It it plays on the myths that that women are not like we don't prioritize sex or sexuality or pleasure that it's that we can just be like oh I don't really need or want this enough to <laughs> to have it early um and if I quote unquote give it too soon then I am a bad person or I won't be treated well mm-hmm. uh and these messages still run pretty deep do you, do you find that people still ask you about that the question i get is how long should i wait mhm i get that too yeah it's still something that women who are dating right now um are still considering like when's the right time um so i always uh, from day 1 my core theme has been authenticity and, and feeling into what feels right for you so i'm totally anti rules um and helping women understand that whatever decision they feel is right for them is is right for them. And if someone's not okay with that, then that's not your person. That's probably not someone you want to be sleeping with anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so with you there. If you, if you lose interest from somebody because you did or did not have sex at a certain time, that's a huge red flag. Totally. Yeah. And do you really want to be with someone who is going to judge you for having sex on the first date when they're also having sex on a first date? Mm. Right. (laughs) Right. That is so well said. What about withholding interest in certain things like, say, kink? I always think the sooner that you can bring up the difficult stuff that you might be ashamed of or afraid of judgment for, the better. Um, Because why waste time pretending to be someone you're not when that could be a deal breaker for someone? And why, um, you know, establish some sort of connection if it's ultimately not going to work out, if that's what you want for the long term? Absolutely. Did you go through a time when you were withholding specifically parts of you on dates? And if so, what were those those parts? I'd say there was probably more of pretending to like different things rather than withholding. 
sports, for instance, like years ago, and now I'm just not a sports person at all. <laughs> so the types of the types of men I'm typically attracted to now aren't like that's not a huge value to them. Um, I'd say maybe the within the past few years, I am dating someone now, but the past few years, I have been more open about being more spiritual. And maybe in the past, that was something that I withheld a little bit as I was getting more into spirituality, like don't want anyone to think I'm too woo-woo or weird. And I know that's that's common for a lot of the women I talk to as well, yeah. just, uh, just being open about what's really important to them and being afraid of, that it'll be a turn off. Have you had someone withhold something from you that, as you were speaking about that, I was thinking of this time where I dated somebody who I told on the first date that I don't didn't want to have kids. And I didn't find out until we were very seriously involved and living together that he'd always wanted to have kids. And it was so hard because we were already so committed. Oh, man. And yeah, on so many levels, that was hard because there was also the the dishonesty that felt like deceit to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also because I cared so much about this person, it hurt a lot to think, if we stay together as we're planning to or were at the time, he won't get to fulfill this dream that he has. Mm-hmm. And I found out in this fluke way. And I just I just remember thinking, wow, when I looked back again, hindsight on my first date, we talked so much, but so much of it was him asking me questions, you know, mm-hmm. almost like I feel like he read a dating book and was like, you're oh, supposed right. to ask a lot of questions because mm-hmm. people like to talk about themselves. And I guess I did <laughs> it because I was like, that was really fun. Um, But yeah, have you been through something like that? I have um, experienced people not being totally honest about their journey and um, health when it came to mental health Mm -hmm. and substance abuse. Um, So I had gotten the impression that they were maybe more healthy and stable than they really actually were. Which was disappointing because feelings and attachment were there. And then it was like, oh, okay, this is not a good situation for me. So, yeah, I almost feel like now if I were dating, I think if I had a dating profile, I would be so honest about some things that I value a lot or just that I know about myself, which I think maturity helps with, like things Mm -hmm. like I'm not a night person. And I, I would just never present myself as this like nightlife party person. That's just not me. And that would take off pressure because then when we met, I wouldn't feel like, oh my gosh, they're going to want me to, you know, or or just going to these events and just feeling so bad mm-hmm. and, and just pretending like, oh yeah, that was great. You know? Yeah. Do you recommend putting these things in dating profiles? Yeah. I think the more that you can put out about you and your likes, dislikes, who you are, your values especially. Um, and the more you can filter out people, the more people can filter out you and the easier and, and more quickly you can attract um, a, a better fit. What role do you think that boundary setting plays in being authentic when you're dating or having sex? Boundaries are huge. And a lot of people have struggle with putting them into place um, either because they don't I think a lot of people don't really think about what their own boundaries are and then they're afraid of putting them into place in order to ruffle some feathers or hurt someone Um, but they're absolutely important and I think 
it's really important to get to a place of your self-worth where you have a high enough self-worth where you're you know what you're worthy of what you deserve how you deserve to be treated and um feel more comfortable and confident putting those boundaries in place i imagine some people listening might be wondering like what are my boundaries Mm -hmm. if no one's ever asked you or you just never sort of asked yourself or or we find out oftentimes when somebody crosses a boundary that that that's what one of our boundaries are unfortunately that it can get to that point first could you give some examples of what some healthy boundaries might be i know it's different for everyone but Mm -hmm. just what kinds of boundaries exist yeah so things like i like to ask women what Um, How do you want to be treated in the bedroom? What is a definite yes for you? And what is something that you would not want done to you or your body? Um, Would you feel confident um, stopping, like if you were in the middle of sex and having sex and you wanted to stop and you were uncomfortable, would you feel comfortable sharing that? Um, What are your boundaries around that? that made me think of yes, no, maybe lists. Mm-hmm. I really like those as tools yeah. for people who struggle with that. If they do have a hard time knowing what they want, to be able to to go through it with a partner to say, look at all these ideas. And there are thematic ones. Like maybe one is all about kink if you're interested in kink but mm-hmm. new to it, for example. Or if you're very involved but you don't know. Everybody's kinks are different, right? Yes. So even things like, um, you know, uh, what does monogamy mean to you if you're a monogamous person? Um, saying, yes, I'm comfortable with having dates with other people. Maybe I'm comfortable. No, I'm not comfortable. Like having the options um, and like the leveled safe words, you know, like the red for stop, mm-hmm. green for keep going. Right. That's a great easy one. Yeah. I love all of that. And I think especially for people who are in new partnerships or in or just dating, the earlier on that you can bring these things up, the better, too, and get into the habit of communicating about your likes and dislikes and what your boundaries are and making it a habit of being consistent with it because we change over time. Um, and I know a lot of couples get into a rut or partnerships get into a rut because um, they've changed, but they don't, the sexual relationship hasn't really, but they want to bring up something new to their partner and they're afraid and they're like, we haven't talked about it in so long. So the earlier on, the better. And the more often that you can just like check up with each other and check yeah. in. Yeah. And asking what their boundaries are too. Mm-hmm. And how they receive that conversation is also really important information. Totally. Right? Because if somebody says, I'm not going to talk about that or you're being too, you know, consenty or whatever like people Mm -hmm. get really worked up about certain things you can just say you know what I don't think this is going to be a good fit for us if you feel safe saying that in that scenario and if you don't then go home and send a text like (laughs) whatever you have to do to protect yourself is really important I asked uh, Dr. Megan Fleming of greatlifegreatsex.com to share some of her top tips on how to know what you want and tell your partner or partners what you want in bed and here's what she had to say August, I am, of course, happy to share my top tips for knowing what you want in bed. The first thing I want to say is, and number one, we know what we know, and we don't know what we don't know. So have no judgment. Um, You know, often that which can turn one on, especially fantasies, are sort of politically incorrect. And so it's really an opportunity to, 
you know, I sort of always say go out to that, you know, growth's always in the discomfort, right? So, you know, in terms of doing so, you want to put a toe in the water. You don't want to jump in the deep end. But you certainly want to put on a mindset of curiosity and exploration. And number two is really to remember that arousal is always both mental and physical. So in this exploration, you want to be thinking mentally exploration, what are the turn-ons in terms of erotic reading or porn? You know, what themes or scenes speak to you? Again, noticing that sometimes, usually there's a very visceral reaction. And I often say to clients when you're reading, if it's not speaking to you or if it's in any way it's even evoking like a feeling of disgust, absolutely stop. Like you don't need to be like the good student and finish reading something. If it doesn't speak to you, flip the page, go to another story, but really explore what are the things that do turn you on, as I said earlier, without judgment. And then the other is focusing on the body. So what is, and I, this is where, only you know for yourself. I, I have a firm believer that you are your own expert. So some of us, I think, are more relaxed on our own doing exploration. And some of us are more comfortable doing that exploration with partners. And if you're not quite sure for yourself, do both. Um, and as we said, try, try again, because of course, the first time we do anything, we're not as relaxed. Um, and the foundation of arousal is relaxation. So whichever way you tend to be more relaxed, maybe the first place you want to do the self-exploration or the exploration in terms of touch and sensation. But exactly that. It's like, you know, try new things on and get a sense of, you know, is it light? Is it hard? Is it direct? Is it indirect? Is it a tease? You know, have you explored toys and everything from a vibrator to like the womanizer satisfier that use more of like a sex and suction technology? It could be temperature play, it could be role play, you name it. The whole idea is you hang out with your sensations, right? And you want to stay and linger in anything um, that, you know, might be a little bit uncomfortable. I sort of call it that yellow light. And that obviously when if it's red, you pivot, Um and you certainly put on the list of things to share with your partner or your top go-tos, anything that, of course, evokes a green light, you know, a really positive uh, experience, sensation in your body that turns you on. So as always, I always say, it's like this is a process of discovery and it doesn't matter how old we are or how long we've been with our partners. I've been with mine almost 20 years. The reality is it's really about mindset. And when you're putting your head in the place of, I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know and let's figure some things out. I'm telling you, it can be a whole lot of fun. So I know this isn't a direct question. These are my tips, but I would still always love to hear what you think and, you know, how it goes for you. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I thought she brought up some really good points about growth being in the discomfort and arousal being both mental and physical and also really taking inventory of what turns you on, what tips would you add? Absolutely. Um, I totally agree. I'm all about exploration and being open-minded. And I love the idea of just not having a specific goal, which tends to be orgasm. We are obsessed with orgasm as a society. Um, so I always recommend, especially um, if you're not comfortable with sexuality and exploring your body, to just be open-minded. Start even not necessarily at the genitals or anything like overtly sexual, but just explore. I kind of like the idea of pretending you don't know that your genitals are where like the quote unquote jackpot is and just being like, I know there's a lot of pleasure in my body. Where can it be? And just exploring even like your hands, like different um, 
just different weird random parts of your body and just being open to what pleasure can come up. Um, exploring other turn-ons. I also, I mean, I love fantasy. I think we underestimate the power of the mind. Um, and I love tapping into sexual energy through movement and music. Um, that for me has been huge with helping me feel sexy and turned on. And I know it's worked for a lot of clients and women I speak to as well. A lot of women never feel sexier than when they're dancing or like a fun song comes on and they can just move their hips and really tap into that sexual energy. So I always recommend some experimentation with music and movement in that way. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, to be just free and to let yourself really really go. And what do you recommend for people who don't feel comfortable letting loose physically? Uh, even just to say, like they're in the room by themselves mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, go, just dance to this music. Because I think it's easy to feel stifled in that way if you have that disconnect that so many of us have struggled with. Yeah. Um, I know it's it's a lot harder for people when they are around other people. But I know there are certain people who are so uncomfortable within their bodies um, that it's even hard to do it for themselves. So I'd say um, really work on just not judging yourself and moving and choosing maybe a fun song that you like or something that just feels good in the moment and just seeing how your body moves. It doesn't have to be anything like anything you've seen before. You don't have to mimic something and feel like, oh, I'm doing it wrong or I'm I'm not good at this. Um, just really focus on moving in a way that feels true and right for you and not comparing yourself to anyone and just see how it feels. I like that, not really seeing it as... Because I think even if you're by yourself, you could easily think of how it would look like. Like, mm-hmm. like if this were on one of those talent competitions or something, when... It doesn't have to be rhythmic. It doesn't have to be on beat. It's just, and I think especially moving around naked is so big, Mm -hmm. you know, and just letting, letting yourself feel your body, touch your body, look at your body, maybe in a mirror, if, Mm -hmm. if that's something that you are at least somewhat comfortable with. Right. I think if you're not, if you're not comfortable and you have a lot of body hangups, I would not do mirror work yet. I would start just closing your eyes, maybe. Or just looking outside, looking wherever, just something place a, a place that's comfortable to look at, and just go inward and move in whatever ways that feel good. So you're not, um, you have fewer opportunities to judge yourself and criticize yourself. One thing that seems to come up a lot with the idea of of pursuing an interest that you haven't tapped into before, a sexual desire that you haven't expressed or maybe tried with a particular partner is fear of rejection, that the person will laugh at us or uh, just say, no, you know, that's why are you doing that or judge you somehow. Mm-hmm. How do we navigate those feelings? Because I imagine they really paralyze a lot of people or keep us keep us from being free in our real true desires absolutely fear of rejection is huge and judgment um which is related and i think especially if we are i think it it comes to self-trust do we trust our partners do we trust that we can choose partners who are loving and not judgmental um and if we are afraid that they are that way, then is there some sort of story or meaning that we're putting around, um, whether it be a kink or whatever it is that we're afraid of rejecting, 
and um, are we carrying shame around it? What's the story around that and how can we work through that? Because really um, it might be more of our feelings about it and just we're projecting that the other person might really judge that and really we're judging ourselves yeah. really we're rejecting ourselves <laughs> that's such a good point it really is that it brought to mind a story I've shared this before so some people will will probably remember it but I had somebody write in who said that they were uncomfortable with anal sex and their partner seemed to be really wanting to do it pretty often and she was sort of you know letting it happen and she said she she was okay with it but didn't want to do it so often and when they finally had the conversation she realized that he was doing it because she thought that he thought that she wanted it oh wow yeah uh he'd been watching a lot of uh particular types of porn and he was like this is a big thing. <laughs> it happens a lot. <laughs> and so he was relieved. And I just love that they had this vulnerable conversation. They're both able to laugh about it. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously this could also get to this type of thing can be um, not a light, casual thing that ends in, in laughing. You know, right. like if you're feeling uh, pain, if it's if the person doesn't take that well. But in this case, they both had the best intentions. Mm-hmm. And I think so often, especially if, if we do have a supportive partner, they want to know what feels good mm-hmm. and probably appreciate the feedback. Another thing that seems to hold people back is that fear of of like hurting the other person that maybe they will feel judged because if you say, I, I really would love to be touched this way and they've been touching you that way, <laughs> that maybe they will feel their own sense of rejection mm-hmm. that, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a big one. I think it's important to always try to be sensitive to the feelings of our partner and first try to say something positive. Um, You know, always start with something positive. I really love having sex with you. It makes me feel really connected. And I would love if, if you could try maybe touching me this way. I'm curious if like that would feel like a little bit better for me. And yeah, always understanding that a partner should want to feel want to please you want you to feel pleasure and not discomfort um and i think also we could start even if we're uncomfortable communicating verbally we can also start by just giving like being more directive in the bedroom and just using their ha- uh their hands or your hands to direct them and maybe slow things down or whatever might feel better for you so it's less like overt like you're doing something wrong but more just in the moment, like, oh, this feels good. Like, let's, yeah, let's just move mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. And let them see if they can, um, like, understand that that's more of what you want. That term you used, curious, made so much sense to me to say, I'm curious if how this would feel. Mm-hmm. Because that starts this sense of adventure. We're doing this together. I'm not mm-hmm. directing you. I'm saying, yeah. what would this feel like? Yeah. Which is fun. Yeah, yeah I think language can be really big. And how we're communicating and how we can help um, make our partner feel like we're not um, upset at them or uh, feel like they're not um, fulfilling enough pleasure, for sure. Would you share some of the ways people flourish um, in other ways beyond sex and, and sexual pleasure and in their specific relationships 
going back to this whole idea that sexual empowerment is so holistic, uh, without obviously sharing any names, what are some of the some of the things that you've seen, people who you work with, speak with, who've, who've done this work, and they're really improving, um, what other parts of their lives or, or ways have you seen it manifest in positive ways? Definitely career. Um, people wanting to take more control of their fulfillment and the meaning in their life and altering um that aspect of their life, whether it's within their current job or switching industries, starting a passion project and and trying to pivot their whole life around a certain passion and creating meaning there. Um, Because that takes a lot of internal work and working to get to a place of your self-worth as well, where you feel worthy of having the life that you want and feeling confident to go after what you want, whether it's a promotion or um, I have had women, uh, I've worked with women who are turning down um, a lot of money because they're like, that's not in alignment for me anymore. I'm not, ex- like, I don't need that external validation. Um, that's not what's important to mm-hmm. me. And at one point it was, you know, and they're just being so much more true to who they are in every aspect of their life. Um, so that's big. Um, it's been interesting to help women also improve familial relationships. Um as they are doing the relational work, a lot comes up with um, relationships with parents and families and boundaries and communication is all, you know, we learn our patterns and things from our family and often healing um, or trying to heal those relationships or really diving deep into learning more about our relationships with our family has also been amazing to see and just helps them fulfill, feel more fulfilled and confident all around too to help um, oftentimes it's good practice too because we're um, more familiar with our family and sometimes more comfortable and then we can then bring that confidence and those boundaries to the bedroom to our romantic relationships and elsewhere yeah that's so big being able to say things like you know to a to a relative that I don't really like being hugged this way mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know I'm just not feeling like hugging right now yeah I feel like that's a big one that, that can feel very challenging but because especially little girls are taught go and hug and kiss everybody mm-hmm. you know that's that's how you're a good girl <laughs> and to be able to have that autonomy and to say you know I really care about you and hopefully this person is not trying to do anything negative they're right. just like I like hugs, so you must like hugs because a lot of us learn the same thing. I mean, that's just one example. Um, But that, and then also being able to vocalize your desires, whatever they are, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's a social function. I know that's really improved for me is is not feeling like I have to um, succumb to like things that are really uncomfortable for me that I know will end up, you know, working against like say my mental health and my energy and all that stuff that I'm only doing out of obligation. I feel like I don't, I don't really do that anymore. There are still times where you will feel a little bit like, oh, I, I wish that I, you know, I wish mm-hmm. I felt differently. <laughs> but it's really empowering and free to feel like, oh, I can because and really people tend to take things so much better typically. I mm-hmm. find than we work it up in our heads of like, oh my gosh, they're going to be like so devastated that I didn't go to this thing or or partake in this activity. And really, a lot of times they're just like, oh, cool, you know, I. I think that they're probably happy that you took care of yourself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and just like we were talking about with um, romantic or sexual partners, uh, people who care about us want us to take care of ourselves and want us to be comfortable. And yeah. so we should always try to have that mindset and remember when we're afraid um, of hurting other people that we can lovingly set boundaries yes. and people want us to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Would you share a little bit more about your work and ways that people could work with you? Absolutely. So I primarily do one-on-one coaching virtually. Um, I am starting to take in-person clients here in LA area, which I'm excited about because it's been a while since I've been able to do in-person work and it's such a nice... um, it's a nice way to connect with women. Um, I also recently started holding in-person workshops around sexual empowerment. Just last night, I did um, a sexual empowerment workshop that included a burlesque class with my friend Heather. Um, so a lot of different um, themed workshops all around sexuality and women's empowerment. Um, and starting probably early next year, I'm going to have an online group program um, for women and hold more retreats and workshops And in order to be updated on when those details are coming out, you can head to christyfederico.com, sign up for my newsletter, um, because it's all still being organized. So stay up to date and tuned in through the newsletter on those details. Great. And uh, you have a a free gift, which is very exciting, a downloadable workbook. Uh, Where can they grab that? Yes, that's on my website as well. The top banner you can download right there. Cool. And what's the theme of the workbook? Yeah, it's called Free Your Fierce. And it's an introductory workbook with journal prompts about self-expression, boundaries, communication, relationships. Great. Any final tip for pleasure in general, something that you wish more people knew or considered people who want more authentic pleasure in their lives that really does align with with who they are? I think just being open-minded and curious and as often as you can tune into yourself and go with any clues um, as to what feels good um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, go in that direction and you won't you won't be sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been awesome. I love your work and I hope everybody uh, checks out your workshops and your, and your workbook. Thank you so much for having me. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please hit subscribe if you haven't in your podcast app and leave us a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. <laughs>